Welcome back to The Preventable. Preventable, eh, we're a few episodes in. We still haven't figured it out. But we're here today with an esteemed guest. His name is John Gall. He is a great friend of the organization. Um, really is, in my opinion, one of the most effective spokespeople and mouthpieces for why we need to be paying attention to mental health. Uh, welcome, John. Well, thank you very much for having me. It's, it's quite an honor. So I got to kind of dig in. So you are a carpenter by trade. How long were you doing that? What got you into carpentry? Uh, tell, tell me about where you started. Well, I actually started in the uh, residential sector. Uh, I was working non-union and uh, I was uh, able to take some night courses in cabinet making. So I actually moved into the cabinet making sector. And um, at that point, I was uh, working for a tool and die company, and the owner of the tool and die firm saw some of my work and said, why don't you start building our shipping uh, containers for international product? Uh, they were pretty nice shipping containers. I was going to say, okay, cabinets yeah. to shipping containers. <clears throat> so uh, I was like, uh, you know, I'm like 19 or 20 years old, and I said, I, you know, this, I'm doing this stuff at night at school. Um he said, well, let's just start your own company. I was like, yeah, okay. I said, sure. I, <laughs> I didn't have that kind of capital at that age. And he's like, just just buy what you need um, on the credit card. Give me the bill. And what I'll do is uh, start uh, taking delivery. And uh, let's just say whatever you bill me that week, I'll hold back 10%. And that's how you'll pay me back. No interest. And so that's how I really kind of got started in, into this whole area of construction. And about six, nine months into that, a friend of me said, hey, a friend of mine, uh, I was uh, out of high school. Uh, a lot of friends from high school were playing in, in uh, like uh, adult uh, CYC hmm. soccer and softball teams. And at softball season, my friend said to me, uh, hey, we have an opening for a carpenter apprentice but it's right up your alley because you'll be in the shop as a cabinet maker. So he said, you get the best of both worlds. You'll, you'll be able to be a cabinet maker and make carpenter wages. And I couldn't pass it up. So I started that in about August, September of 79 and graduated about uh, eight, uh, April of 82. And um, was really uh, fortunate to work for a, uh, a great firm, uh, Henges Associates, uh, Ron Henges uh, recently passed away, certainly one of my biggest supporters, and uh, I, I always considered a friend and a mentor, uh, one of the kindest people I've ever met in my life, and was a great uh, northern star for me. Hmm. And um, so he gave me, you know, the opportunity to, so to, I have to spread my wings. I have to ask, how are the cabinets in your house? Did you make them? Uh, some of the furniture I've oh, made, okay. but, uh, okay. no, no, you know, by the time, uh, you know, house buying came around and family and all that kind of stuff, I, I had moved on. So I was running some work, mm -hmm. had an opportunity to go teach oh. and, uh, it was really in my apprenticeship program. I learned how to, uh, to learn how to learn, I love learning. Uh, Which would like... explain why you've continued yes, learning. Yes. That's right. Okay. That's right. So, um, you know, as a high school student, uh, I probably was a, a, a pain to my mother and father. I was on four years probation my first month of high school. So, <laughs> uh, 
So the truth comes out, folks. Yeah. yeah so uh, I knew I liked you, John. So um, so it you truly in... was my apprenticeship program where yeah. I learned how to learn, and I just loved it, and I couldn't stop. Well, and so then I know over the years you really morphed into lots of different roles, and ultimately you retired as director of training and workforce development for the local carpentry union. That's correct. So yeah. I guess some of our listeners might be wondering, why am I talking to you? Ah. Right? So my my dad was in construction, uh, ran a, a construction company, and, and I can tell you we never talked about mental health. So why would I have uh, you here? Um, right. What brings you to the table? Well, I... I in 18 minutes, I can't really explain all that, but I'll do my best. Um, about 20 years ago, um, researchers from WashU School of Medicine came to me and, and asked uh, if they could start doing some research collaboratively with the carpenters, especially our apprentices. Um, and we actually went after the low-hanging fruit. They, 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 you know, you know, came to us and said, you know, if we can find ways to tweak your training so that things are done safer out on the job mm. site, more of your workers that will come like home. Like OSHA stuff. Yep. Okay. Yep. Makes yep. sense. The yep. low-hanging fruit. So trips and falls. That's yep. where we trips started. Trips and falls. Okay. Then we moved to nail guns because one study led to the other. <laughs> nail guns. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. We found from the slip strips and falls study that it was the early term apprentices who were getting hurt with nail guns. Huh. And we said to ourselves, why are we putting a pneumatic nailer that shoots a three and a half inch metal spike at 120 psi in somebody's hand, who is less than a month on the job. And it was because you it's know a good question. anybody can do that. That's right. that was the flavor of the day. You huh. know, well hell anybody can do that. You know, so essentially we realized that no, we needed more training in that area in order to stop people from shooting themselves in the foot, in the eye, or their friend in the leg, and all those kinds of things. And and if you've ever been through our school down there in Afton, you'll see pictures of these accidents on the wall of fame or shame, whatever you want to call it. <laughs> Sorry, um, that's not funny. Yeah. It's kind of funny. No, but I tell you, it. Uh, we knew a couple of things. And one of the things we knew was that um, us, whether it was the Carpenters Union or the Apprenticeship Program, which is a jointly managed uh, organization, us going to the manufacturers wasn't going to change things. But when you had WashU School of Medicine with MDs mm. and PhDs behind your name, that would might change the game. Right. And in fact, it did. We, it shouldn't take that. I know. But it does. It did. Right. And it did. So they actually were able to use their science in their, their peer-reviewed journal published studies uh, to change the way nailers were sent out of the factory. They used to huh. send them with a, a contact trip nailer uh, trigger on them, and they, they actually um, – uh, moved it to the uh, uh, sequential trip uh, trigger. So You've lost me. Well, but that's a contact, okay. all you had to do is touch the nose of the gun and a nail popped out. But a sequential, oh. you had to depress the nose and then pull the trigger for a nail mm, to come out. Okay. So you can imagine it, it on a contact trip, if you hit a knot, you could actually bounce that nose off that nail you just put in there and shoot that other nail off in a ricochet and hurt Oof. somebody else and, and uh, uh, you know other than yourself so sequential slowed the thing down a little bit and and gave you a little more time to pause and think um you know and so anyway um so those studies were going on uh we were moving along you know really nice uh we 
we actually moved into some space of of dealing with training for apprentices. Mm. And then the apprentices came back to report that uh, uh, even though our methods may be safer, uh, the people in the field, their upper echelon, wouldn't accept them. So then we knew we had to do a study on how do we get management and the four people out on the job site to understand the science so they would accept these new fangled methods the apprentices were trying to attempt to show out on the job site. And so this moved on, and it, and it worked. And, and then all of a sudden, 2007 comes along, 2008. Mm. And you know what that was? That was the Great Recession. Yes. And this disturbed a lot of people in more ways than one. And one of the things I saw in our apprentices down at the school was actually a state of melancholy. You know, yeah, um, just you sadness. Could, you could see it in their faces, in their movement, in their body language. And and I, I just knew that uh, we were not addressing the whole person. Mm. And so when I went back to the WashU researchers, uh, they said there's actually a term for that. It's called total worker health. And so uh, I knew that uh, in, in some ways, um, in order to win people over, uh, because there's such a stigma tied to this issue of, of, of uh, mental health, that we weren't be able, we weren't going to upfront be able to frame it as mental health. Right. And so, um, a lot of us, you know, got together and talked it over, and 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 not just here locally. Some, some uh, of of the input I got was from an international organization called the IFEBP, and they actually had consultants uh, from uh, actuaries to accountants to lawyers, and we decided that we had to focus on 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 financial literacy. Because that's a mental health issue, and to me, uh, I couldn't, I, I couldn't, you know, uh, push it hard enough or fast enough. Because well, because if if it weren't for that, you wouldn't be where you were, right? Well, if you if you didn't have somebody helping you kind of set up a business plan, taking yep. a chance on you and encouraging you to go into business for yourself. Yes, I mean, financial yep. literacy is is key. Oh, and to me, you know, not trying to sound you know like anti-capitalist here, but Let's face the facts. When you're young like that, money can become the root of all evil. Oh, you know. So preach. if yes. you're not you're, if you're not prepared to deal with that influx of money as you get those raises in the trades, mm-hmm. um, you you may squander it, and and then you don't realize why you've got all these problems. And so if we could just introduce financial literacy, maybe that would take one less thing off their table, and create some some good space in their relationships. And so we we moved in that direction mm-hmm. and we were able finally to reframe it as a mental health a, a agenda. And then next thing you know, as you well know, the opioid crisis comes along. Yes, sir. And so um, a dear friend of mine from high school who was, uh, uh, cur- uh, was at the time was a labor leader, um, Don Willie with local, Labor's Local 110, uh, he and I go back to high school. We ran track together. Um, Don lost his son in March of 2016, and he lost him to, uh, to, to the um, a heroin overdose. And um, it broke my heart that I did not know that he was dealing with those issues um, until afterwards, and that's too late. And Don's a, you know, for those people who don't know Don, I mean, he's a, He's a big dude. Oh. He's kind of what you think of when you think of like a 
a construction guy that, you know, isn't super emotional, curses a lot. Like, like you could see him on a job site giving folks a a hard time, you know, and, and busting their chops, but you wouldn't necessarily expect him to be dealing with sort of emotions or to even really yeah, Don it, was, it's it's hard to know when somebody's going through something right, like that. Right. I mean, you know, I always looked at Don as he was a man among boys back in high school. He was always as big as the doorway. Yeah, he went he's to a I, huge Iowa dude. and played. You know, got a four year scholarship to play football. So you know, that's the type of person mm-hmm. he is, and just a wonderful individual. Um, you know, kind as a day is long. Uh, but certainly somebody you want on your side oh, in a fight. Oh, you want him on your <laughs> so, side. He's a bulldog. You yeah, want him on your yeah, side. That's yeah, right. So, so when that happened, I went home to my family and I said, you know, I, I, I just feel so bad. I, I had a d- discussion at dinner with them and said, um, uh, I think one of my, my phrases to him was, I can't imagine what he's going through. I can't imagine what it would be like to lose a child. And then uh, – I think every month from that point forward, he and I, uh, throughout the the remainder of 2016, went to uh, either a a workshop or conference uh, or a summit uh, on opioids in the workplace. Yes. And every time I'd go come out of one of those, I I was just shaking my head. I I could not believe what I just learned in there. Because for you, it was a culmination of what you were learning was that it was a culmination of some sadness and melancholy because of the recession coupled with money yep and all of these feelings and and the inability to cope yep. right and so it was coming out for some right. of the the employees as substance use disorders yeah, right but i hadn't put my finger on that right. yet right not you yet know? Mm-hmm. i i just knew it was some kind of mental yeah, disturbance you knew something was you know? going on but i i couldn't put my finger on it and that that moved me in the direction, and uh, believe me, uh, there were people on both sides of the table of labor and management that pushed back against Don and my efforts, and uh, uh, because of his character and, and, and my character, we, we didn't back down. Yeah. And uh, For the record, I'd like you on my side in a fight <laughs> also. <laughs> uh, so, uh, and lo and behold... Uh, it was interesting because about December of 2016, my oldest son, John Jr., said to my wife, his mother, Mary, uh, you know, Mom, um, it seems like every time we have dinner together, <laughs> Papa talks about, uh, uh, you know, the uh, heroin crisis. And uh, she said, yeah. And he's like, um, you know, I think we'd, it's about time we call that off limits at the dinner table. So, <laughs> so she's like, well, why? And he's, uh, you know, he said, uh, you know, it's, it's a little much. And she said, well, you know, um, just not unlike you, he's got the temperament where, where you see someone in need and, and then you try to help that individual. She said, and she told him, you know, you know, imagine, you know, you being a father and losing your son. And somebody throwing you a hundred pound packet, you know, sack of potatoes instead of a life preserver. Mm. And I, and she says, that's what it's got to feel like. She says, I don't know, but I, I imagine that's what it's got to feel like. <sighs> and then the next thing you know, three months later, um, my son 
John Jr. took his life. He was, uh, for lack of better words, a, a, a pretty good athlete in high school. And uh, they allowed him to play soccer and football in the same season. Mm. And he was a running back on offense and a safety on defense, so he was getting hit on every play. Mm. And then he'd go from that to playing soccer, and he was a center midfielder. So he was always going up for head balls. Mm. And uh, during his junior and senior year, he suffered four concussions. And um, two of them in his senior year, the last uh, few weeks of the season, he had uh, two knockouts about two weeks apart. And um, so um, he battled for from about 2011 till till 2017 uh, with those demons. And because that was really before, and it was probably right during, but mainly before yeah. we knew everything we know now about right. concussions and right. CTE. Am I saying that That's right? right. Okay. Yes. Yeah, chronic traumatic encephalopathy. And so – We've read a lot and seen a lot in the press uh, with regards to NFL players who have taken their lives. Yes. And their brains being donated to the brain bank up in Boston. Mm -hmm. And Dr. Ann McKee and her research team studying their brains and finding this abnormal tau protein in their brain, which it's now, you know, uh, the disease, the brain disease is called CTE. And... Uh, so, yeah, in, you know, the concussion movie with Will Smith where he played Dr. Bennett Amalu actually came out in, in 2015. So we're on the cusp of it. Okay. And uh, um, so I, I had already read up a lot about it. And uh, essentially um, when we were in the emergency room, I asked the doctors if they could salvage any of his organs. And oh. they said no. And, None? Uh, Not even his brain? Well, that's what I said. I said, I know one you can salvage. And they right. said, what's that? And I said, the, uh, his brain. And they asked me, what do I know about that? And I told them I would like to donate his brain to Dr. Bennett Lamalu. And they said, well, we don't work with him, but we, we do work with Dr. Ann McKee. I said, we're done. Just give me the papers. And so they harvested his brain, his spinal cord, and his eyes. And, uh, and uh, Mary and I had to go through three rounds of interviews um, uh, from later in March to uh, uh, beginning of December. It was a double-blind study, and they called us on March, excuse me, on December the 6th of 2017 to inform us that Little John did have stage 1 CTE. Mm. There was never a doubt in my mind. Right, you knew. And so... You know, how does this all tie together? Well, it ties together Don's story and my story because, in my opinion, a lot of us do not give a lot of thought to what's going around on, uh, around us in our world until it hits square, uh, you know, hits us square in the face. And so, to me, the heroin issue hit me square in the face in, in March of 16, and then in March of 17, the suicide issue hit me. And then when Don and I put our heads together, because he was there to walk by my side That's after right. I lost my son, and we said, hey, you know what? 
this stuff's going on in our own industry. That's right. And then what we come to find out, Nicole, as you will know, depending on what report you read, mm. the construction industry as a sector is number one when it comes to opioid abuse. Yes. And it's number one or number two when it comes to suicide. And so in a, a very sad but odd way, uh, it wrangled both Don and I, who have both lost, you know, our dear sons uh, to these issues. And so we started to look at this issue um, a little more closely. Uh, we got the WashU researchers on board. Because we want to, I mean, if people are listening to this, they're going to be saying, why? 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 So what, and I know you, you are a doctor, correct? You have your I, PhD. Yeah. I know you're also very a very humble man. But you've been doing a lot of, of studies on this with WashU and with other places. And so what are, I don't know, for lack of a better word, just for the people listening at home, like why construction industry? Like what puts them at a higher risk for suicide and also substance use disorders? Well, there's a litany of, of issues, mm -hmm. but uh, let's start with the obvious. The obvious is it's it's still pretty much a male-dominated industry. Okay. So there's this aura of machoism. Yeah, dudes don't like to talk about feelings, or at least that is the perception. And yes. or they don't like to show a weakness. And yes. So that if you ask for help, that's a chink in your armor, and you know, and the sharks will yes. start swarming. Mm -hmm. And so anyway, that that's one issue. Oh, so so machismo basically. <clears throat> yes. The okay. other t issue, uh, big issue to me, is that it truly is and always will be. Uh, as long as the pay is the way it's 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 dealt out right now, it, it is a seasonal position. So it, you it, are working while you can, and that means through pain, mental or that's physical. Right. Yeah. So it, essentially, in construction in the St. Louis marketplace, um, most of the blue collar jobs you only get paid for when you work. And so if you're the breadwinner, mm -hmm. you have to put food on your table for your family. And if you're hurt, you have to figure out ways to hide that pain. That's right. And so many of them hit the easy button. They went to their doctor. And, of course, you know, uh, there's plenty of fingers to point here. The CDC, Congress, the pharmaceuticals, you know, companies and so on and so forth. But essentially they, they became more lax about dispensing uh, highly addictive drugs uh, yeah. known as opiates and opioids. And um, uh, people got hooked on them. Um, the fact is, is that uh, opioids, uh, in in most cases, are, are are not for chronic pain. But we start to use them yes. more often than not for chronic pain. And so, uh, so once there became an issue, uh, then the CDC wanted to pull back, and so these doctors were afraid. So they started cutting people off. Mm -hmm. And so now we have uh, people who are hooked, who are addicted uh, to a highly addictive drug, uh, looking for their fix. And so um, they started to uh, buy it on the street as a diversion, you know, uh, people taking it out of their, you know. So let me so let me ask. So we've talked about machismo kind of uh we've talked about it being seasonal and and needing to provide and so you're working whether you're in pain or not and and it would it's nice to have something to take away the pain whatever that you know right. is i'd like to end i mean i feel like we've come really full, full circle here and and i hope because 
you know, I know why you're here. But I, I hope that everybody listening kind of understands how you started out as a as a carpenter building cabinets are now a man on a mission. I mean, you are a crusader. Um, and so what are you doing about it? Because I know you personally are doing a lot. So give me like the top three things that you're doing right now oh, goodness. to to draw attention to the the challenges that people in the construction industry face, but also to try to offer some relief. Well, um, currently I am uh, consulting on on two opioid related grants, mm -hmm. uh, one uh, with WashU. Uh, mainly focused in the St. Louis region on union construction issues, um, and the other one through uh, uh, UM uh, University of Missouri, uh, Columbia, their extension oh, okay. office, mm -hmm. uh, their Rota grant. So the, uh, that one is basically all industries across all parts of Missouri, whether union or non-union, mm. and with really a, a rural focus. And so rural, okay, uh, all right. So. The beauty of the two is is that they both are focusing on opioids, but more importantly, we're trying to uh, look at you know uh, what's called RFW, uh, you know, re uh, recovery friendly workplaces. Yes. And so uh, we don't. Uh, that is another episode, uh, my friend. Yeah. Well, we don't have we. You know, there there are a lot of different models out there. Yes. Missouri doesn't really have one. Correct. Right now. And that's we're, they're working on it. Yes, we're working on it. That's right. And so there are a lot of us working on this and, and hopefully, you know, together and not separately. And so and I really am not kidding. That is a whole nother episode. And as a matter of fact, we've talked about maybe future iterations of this podcast series, like focusing on, you know, how this really does impact the workplace and right. even putting a spotlight on particular workplaces that have been really open right. and and you know as well as yeah. i know nicole you can't probably pick up a paper in the last few weeks that that uh, owners and 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 contractors aren't screaming for people There's uh, a labor everyone's shortage, looking to right? hire yep yet um, we're looking to hire in a in a, in a recent study anybody. by some of our our team and at, at, at Mizzou Columbia, we found that you know there there are several thousand people who are in recovery, but can't be rehired because of the barriers that are in place. Yes, and and so we need to figure out how to remove those barriers. Absolutely, and uh, so that's that's a big piece that's I'm working a, on. Yep. Um, Doing a, a, a lot of uh, outreach with different groups. You know, uh, it's not unusual for me to to work with a, a company or a union and uh, come in and deliver uh, either. Um, I have a, a, a one hour uh, presentation that kind of encapsulates uh, a pilot study that that I just had uh, peer in a uh, published in a peer reviewed journal with regards to wellness and well being in the industry. In the construction industry, uh, so I do a one-hour piece on that. Um, I do a, uh, a big one right now that 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 especially is important. Is I, I do a, a, a two-hour uh, training session on on resilience. Mm. And if you've you know followed some of the the, the you know the latest uh, reports about COVID and 
and the opioids crisis, resilience is going to be a huge issue coming up here. And um, of course, uh, I, I do a, a one-hour piece, uh, QPR piece on on suicide prevention as Which well. Which is so. question, persuade, refer. refer. That's, That's right. And I try to tailor those towards the industry sector mm -hmm. that I'm, I'm delivering. And most of what I do, because I come out of the construction sector, is with the construction sector. Well, I I can think of no other person that can really i mean you and don you're you're sort of a, a package deal many times and uh again i would definitely want both of you uh, in a bar fight uh, on my side um but i really can think of very few people that are doing as much boots on the ground infiltrating and trying to completely upend norms in any industry and the fact that you are trying to tackle it in the construction industry which is one that i grew up in and i know how difficult of a nut that is to crack um, i am so grateful for the efforts that that you are undertaking and um, i i'm so grateful that you spent some time today talking um, to me about everything that you're doing also kind of what brought you to this place and and i think that everyone listening hears that you aren't stopping anytime soon. <laughs> no, as a matter of fact, I, I just took a newly created position with the Missouri FLCIO. Thanks to Jake Hummel and Greta Bax, they, they created a, a new uh, division uh, called Worker Wellness, and they asked me to become the Worker Wellness Director. So that's going to be a statewide effort, and it's for all workers across the entire state. So it, uh, I'm really looking forward to that because if there was ever a time we need that kind of support out there, it's, it's now. now. It's now. Thank you so much, John, for spending some time with us. If you like what you're hearing, if you want to listen to one of our upcoming episodes about recovery-friendly workplaces, uh, please consider subscribing. Thank you so much, John. Have a wonderful day. Thank you very much.